Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, September 6th, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So I know we talked about this before we kind of came on air, but I know you're still in a kind of shutdown, or at least the pub is shut down for another few days here. The pub is shut down, but it's actually supposed to open up today. Okay. But it's not actually today. It's in four days' time. But when people are listening to it, it is today. I keep having to explain that. All right. And we should say Happy Labor Day too, right? Because in the US, it's Labor Day today, even though today it's not Labor Day. But you get what I'm saying. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Because we recorded in advance, but happy Labor Day to everyone. Um, I'm finally back uh, on your side of the Atlantic. Um, Although, as they say, the the channel is wider than the Atlantic. People often say that about the relations between France and England uh, versus, you know, England and the U.S. Um, But in any event, I'm back. Uh, What's been going on on the MBA admissions side of things? I feel like I'm seeing more activity with respect to Livewire and things, but give us your update. Yeah, a little bit more activity. I mean, clearly we're we're getting very close now to those sort of round one deadlines. Um, this this upcoming week, um, it's going to be, um, you know, the big three. For for example, round one. So so we're getting a lot more activity like that. We're also getting some early admits out of Colombia. Um, so early decision admits. So that's that's always good to see. Um, so yeah, things are starting to bubble up. Yeah, and so I want to congratulate everyone that's gotten into Columbia Early Decision because we have seen a few of those come across on the site, and also just give folks a little bit of a word of uh, words of encouragement since you're right, this week is killer for deadlines and you know round one deadlines, and so I know everyone's probably triple checking their essays and data forms and getting everything together. Um, while simultaneously speed dialing their recommenders to make sure they've done <laughs> their part. So good luck to everyone, you know, as you come down the home stretch with some of these applications for round one. Um, yeah, crazy time. <laughs> very good, very good. So the other thing, Alex, that I want to talk about is that um, we've got news that uh, Kate Smith, who's the assistant dean uh, over at Kellogg, so runs the admissions office and stuff, she is leaving. Um, it's going to be leaving, I think, uh, her departure is sort of imminent, uh, taking some time to spend spend more time with family and kind of plan her next move. And so that was a little bit of a surprise kind of news item. I know that uh, Emily Hayden on her team is is taking over and has been there for a while. So I think they won't miss a beat. But I did want to mention that, you know, some, some movement in the MBA admissions world that uh, caught my eye. Yeah, timing is a big surprise, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Right before the season begins here. And really, you know, when you look at it from a recruiting standpoint, the season's already in a full-on, you know, mode here with schools doing info sessions and stuff. So, anyway, we'll see how they do over there. Uh, the other news um, from our side is we've got, uh, we ran an admissions director Q&A uh, on the website. So a written piece with uh, Janice Kennedy, who's the director of admissions at Rice uh, Jones. Um, so that's, that's a good piece to read. We also did uh, short kind of content pieces about the class of 23 profiles that have come out for both Harvard and Tuck, and we'll have more of those coming. We always like to profile what the stats look like and offer some you know, commentary and, and key takeaways from each school's profile as they publish them. So stay tuned for more of those. Um, the big thing for me, and Alex, I'm sure you probably noticed this, but in HBS's class profile, you know, things are really different this year because they have a much larger class. Um, they had allowed everyone who wanted to to defer back in the spring of 2020. And so they had only 700 and change students in that year as opposed to their normal 900. 
But now this year, they've got over 1,000, I believe, as they're trying to kind of um, compensate a bit. So the next two years, they're going to have larger than average classes. So that was just kind of interesting to see how they're kind of dealing with all that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the feedback's like when students are on campus and whether there's any noticeable difference. But obviously, from HBS's standpoint, it's a great way to get some of their money back. Right, right. Yeah. And also just to, um, you know, they had to find a place to put the 200 or so candidates who opted not to come yeah. from that 2020 admission cycle. So yeah, this, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. But I guess the good news for applicants, you know, last year and this year is that basically, um, you know, because they made the class bigger, it's not like there were fewer slots available for, for candidates. No, quite frankly, Graham, I think HBS did the right thing. Yeah. They did the right thing last year in terms of allowing people to waive or defer or whatever the right term is and not sort of creating anxiety around that. And they've done the right thing by not um, disadvantaging folks applying this season and next season because of that process. Yeah. So, yeah, kudos, hats off. Yep, agree. A uh, couple of events coming up for us. Uh, we're going to be doing on the 15th of September. So in just like a little over a week's time, we're doing a career switching webinar with uh, Georgia Terry School of Business. And that's basically a, a webinar that's just going to talk about using the MBA to make a career change, which, you know, as we know, many candidates want to do. Uh, we also have these essay events coming up um, on the 22nd and the 29th of September, as well as the 6th of October. For those of you keeping score at home, those are uh, three consecutive Wednesdays, and the events are always at noon Eastern. And I'm not going to list all the schools because it's really just a who's who of the top. You know, we have like 15 schools taking part, and it's basically all the top schools, including you know Stanford and LBS and Booth and Berkeley, there are just a whole bunch of schools. So um, you can sign up for uh, the essay events by just going to bit.ly forward slash essay event series, all one word, all lowercase. And you can sign up for that career switching uh, webinar that we're running by going to bit.ly forward slash career switch MBA. Again, all one word, all lowercase. So um, those should be fun. Uh, Alex, <laughs> I have some good news in that we got a review. So somebody <laughs> was listening to my complaining for the last couple of weeks, and we did get a review. Um, we think, I know you and I were talking, we think we even know maybe who it came from. And they're not related to us. I just want to make that make yeah. that known. <laughs> but the review says, uh, more than just a podcast. And it's a five-star review. And they say, this is an excellent show that I recommend to anyone interested in pursuing an MBA. Whether you're just thinking about it or assessing your candidacy, preparing for submissions, or have to decide where to go, Alex and Graham are here to offer valuable insights and perspectives. Particularly interesting is that you can actually participate and engage with them by posting your profile on the ClearAdmit webpage uh, using ApplyWire and through their club at the Clubhouse app every Thursday. By far the most interactive experience out there. And that's an applicant from Chile uh, who was listening on Apple Podcasts. So we really appreciate that review. I think it's from Ignacio. I don't know about you, Alex, but that's yeah, mine. yeah, I'm not speculating, but it's, it seems pretty likely. <laughs> yeah. So thanks so much for that. Obviously, if anyone has questions or just wants to send us an email to say hi, um, you can email us at info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. So Alex, we've kind of rambled on, or I know I have here for a bit, but we have three candidates that we're going to review this week as always. Um, so what do you think? Should we get going? Yeah, let's kick on. All right, so this is Wiretap's candidate number one. So this is a candidate looking to start school next fall, so in the fall of 22, 
and they have 13 schools on the target list. Those schools are Berkeley, Cambridge, Cornell, Dartmouth, Georgetown, Harvard, Imperial, INSEAD, LBS, Michigan, Stanford, Rotman, and Washington Foster. And this person's been working in corporate development and venture capital um, and is hoping to kind of do consulting or maybe VC or PE or even work in a family business after business school. So a lot of a lot of options on the on the plate. The GRE score is a 328, the GPA is 2.9, and they have five years of work experience. They're located in Canada and they gave us a fairly lengthy description of the different work experiences they've had. And I say lengthy because they bounced around quite a bit. You know, they did like a year and a half of corporate dev at a tech firm in Dubai. Then they worked for half a year in compliance uh, with the Canadian government, and then a couple years at a university-backed VC um, and incubator. So, you know, they've done a lot of different stuff, and they actually, um, I guess, most recently left a job as an associate director of tech for a kind of mid-level international consultancy, where they were managing like 10 people. Um, but they they quit because they're focusing on some personal business ventures. Um, so. They've got a lot of outside activities. The list was long, but Alex, I want to just stop there and ask you what you make of this candidacy because there's kind of a lot going on and, and some tidbits that you'll share, I'm sure. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. And I, I will say, Graham, I think there's some really interesting um, aspects to this candidacy in terms of what they've done and both at work and outside of work, which is um, super, in, you know, super good, right, in terms of what they, they've sort of accomplished. But as you say, it looks like they've bounced around a little bit to, to do all this stuff. Um, there isn't a lot of consistency or pattern of sort of commitment. Um, and that could raise a little bit of a red flag uh, amongst ADCOM. So certainly as they're positioning their candidacy, um, that sort of app execution element, they're really going to have to show um, the, the sort of the thread through their experiences and really show sort of now why they're getting the MBA, what they plan to do and how it all makes sense. They've said that they'd rather be an entrepreneur than, than an employee. I think that was one of their quotes. And some of these things that it, it could sort of backfire on them a little bit in, in the application process if they're not careful. They've clearly got great connections, family connections that's enabled them to do some super interesting stuff. It looks like they've really taken advantage of that. I, they've done the great stuff, so I'm not dismissing that. Um, but I really want to caution them. You want to make sure that you, one, one, and I'm not saying this candidate necessarily does this, Graham, but you don't want to come across as being a little bit arrogant, a little bit, you know, I, I've got access to all this stuff so I can do this stuff sort of thing, right? It's really important, all candidates, to have a little bit of a humble approach to this admissions process because you are, in effect, competing with some brilliant individuals all around the world. So you can take that little bit of it off the table and, 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 and be a little bit more humble. So, so that's one thing I just want to caution this candidate. The other is, yes, they did get a very good GRE score, 328. Their GPA is not outstanding. They have some reasons for that. But I also think that if they did um, a prep course like MBA Math or HBS Core, um, it would absolutely mitigate this sort of potential um, issue around this GPA. But it would also show 
again, a little bit of this more humble sort of perspective, i.e. they recognise that the 2.9 is, is going to raise a, a little bit of a red flag and therefore they're taking care of that. Um, so they're showing that self-awareness and then hopefully they're feeling more prepared as they um, journey on through and, and participate in one of the top MBA programmes, hopefully they ultimately get admitted to. Those are my quick thoughts, Graham. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's funny, in my notes as I was reviewing this, I wrote down that I was worried that this candidate could come across as arrogant. So it's interesting that you mentioned that too, because I don't think they intend to. Um, but, you know, there's always that danger because they mentioned, you know, uh, related to a current head of state, you know, and I'm sort of like, okay, you know, but what do I do with that? And I, I just, there were a bunch of little things in here. Um, but I agree, like, there's also a lot of interesting stuff that they've done. You know, they've, they've got a lot of outside activities. Um, you know, they've lived in 12 countries, traveled to 40, they've worked in three, they speak four languages. So, you know, there's clearly a lot that this person has going for themselves. But I, I did worry um, about the kind of jumping around on the work front and the need to kind of find a way to weave it all together or to show, you know, that there was something specific taken away from each experience and that those things have combined to help them discover whatever path they want to set out to be on post-MBA. It is dangerous applying unemployed, so I would encourage them to, it sounds like they're working on some businesses that they've started or in their family or something. So I think they need to show that they're active because that's a danger um, zone as well. And the thing that you know, I could not agree with you more is that this 2.9 GPA jumps off the page as being low for these top schools that they're targeting. And I worried that um, if they don't do an MBA math or HBS online core, that they'll, like you say, they, they may not be sending the right signal, you know, so I think it'd be important. And I, I also feel like if the work experience suggests that they have trouble committing and kind of bouncing around, well, the 2.9 does a little bit too, right? Because it suggests that, you know, the, the, you know to get a really high GPA, you got to be long-term committed over the course of three, four years, whatever it is um, that your undergraduate degree, um, you know, however long it's, it's lasting, right? So I, I'm just worried. So I think taking, a, you know, some kind of HBS online core or, you know, MBA math or whatever would help. Um, the GRE score is solid. And then weaving together a story that's coherent and, and shows a lot of humility and authenticity, I think is going to be really important for this candidate. I think we're on the same page there, Graham. Absolutely. So I do want to thank them for submitting. And I did want to mention, you know, they've, um, they, do, they do like go-karting. They've been in these like international tournaments for that. They were, you know, work with Model UN, Amnesty. So they've just done a lot of different things. They've done some f fantastic stuff, Graham. I don't think we're disputing that at all. Yeah, agreed. And yeah. I did want to ask you one more thing about this candidate before we move on. And that is they pointed out that their undergraduate degree was a dual degree in biology and econ, and that the sciences GPA was quite low, but that their econ GPA, if they split it out, is a 3.5. Do you think that matters? Like, will the, should they mention that in the optional essay? Like, hey, I did this dual degree. I was, in reality, much more passionate about econ and business, which is wh where my career has gone. Um, but the science, you know, grades did drag my overall GPA down and, um, you know, it was, it was a learning experience or whatever. I don't know what they would say, but do you think that makes sense as part of their sort of strategy here? I think they can mention that, but if they mention that and then the next sentence says, and in the meantime, I've taken MBA math or HBS core just to ratchet up my preparation, I think then, then yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. That sounds like the winning formula to me. I, I agree with you. So 
Um, all right, so let's move on though, and you know, thanks to that person for their post. Let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number two. So this candidate is also looking to start school in the fall of 22. Uh, she has four schools on the target list, and those are Columbia, HBS, Stanford, and Wharton. She's been working in venture capital in India, and post-MBA, she would love to stay in VC, and she's got companies like Excel Partners, First Round Capital, Kleiner Perkins, and NEA on her list. GMAT score is 750, GPA 3.55, and she's got four years of work experience. She would love to land either in India or the USA after business school, and she indicates in the notes that she is uh, Indian, female, raised in the Middle East, with a bachelor's in commerce. She indicates she also has the um, kind of SEMA uh, qualification for accounting in the UK and is a CFA level two candidate. She's been working at a VC fund that's backed by a bunch of marquee entrepreneurs. Um, and also, uh, I guess she's also been somehow involved with the family office of a billionaire founder for one of the highest valued startups in the country and has a lot of key responsibilities. She's done a lot of um, ECs mainly uh, she is a classically trained dancer and has been doing so dancing for 20 plus years with over 50 regional and national awards to date. And so, you know, th that's kind of the background. She talks a little bit more about her goals and had a little bit of back and forth with you about school selection. But Alex, what do you make of this candidate? Because there's, you know, some pretty good numbers and but some also really good schools on the list. So what do you think? I love this candidate and I worry about this candidate all at the same time. Okay. I mean, quite frankly, Graham, I think this candidate on paper is outstanding. I mean, the numbers are, are very good. Certainly the GMAT is, is, is ridiculously high. VC work, I assume that that's sort of top of the line work, absolutely fantastic. They're doing, you know, they're like you say, they, they've got this sort of outside activity in terms of dance and where, where they've won lots of awards like national. I mean, you, you if you win national awards at something, I don't care what it is you're winning. It could be tiddlywinks. You're very good at something. <laughs> you're the best in your country. I just think that's absolutely fantastic. So the commitment to to those types of activities. We've talked about this a little bit before in terms of athletes and so on and so forth. That type of commitment to your endeavor, I think is absolutely fantastic. So a lot, a lot to like here in my book. My concern, and we talked about this a little bit coming on air in terms of what worries me is, she's targeting the very, very, very best schools, right? So it's Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, which, you know, if, if she's gonna to apply to all three, I'm really hoping that she's got a spot in one of those three, um, or, or maybe even two of those three, or maybe all three, but the fact is they're all at the very top. So, so that will be challenging no matter what caliber of candidate. She's also applying to Columbia, and I would be concerned if she's not Columbia early decision, Columbia may get a little, edgy and think, well, she's not prioritizing us, so maybe we need to stick her on the wait list or something like that. And then you get caught in this sort of um, potential um, issue where you come back then in round two and things are a little bit tougher or whatever. I mean, she's Indian national. Does that bucket her in, in and make things a little bit more competitive? I really encourage this candidate to also look at a, maybe a program like Sloan, which is notorious in terms of it's late in that round one. So she could actually dedicate a week or two 
after getting the Harvest Stanford Wharton applications out of the way, just to the Sloan app and get that in in round one also. Um, but yeah, frankly, Graham, I love this candidacy. I just want to make sure that her strategy is right on, on, on par. I think the issue, if we're just going to sort of put it out in the open, is that she's applying from India, and India is a country that sends a lot of candidates into the applicant pool. So she risks being overrepresented. At the same time, her test scores are great. Her GPA is pretty solid. Work experience seems very interesting. I do wonder, uh, like, how does an admissions committee view VC work in India versus VC work out in the Bay Area or something? And But, you know, frankly, I'm not sure that there's any real bias there. And even still, I just feel like from what she describes, the work she's doing sounds really interesting. And she's had some accolades and and put things in place that are noteworthy at work. So I guess my main thing was, and I would say this even to a superstar candidate that has perfect test scores and everything, I would always say be careful if you're only applying to Harvard Stanford and Wharton, because you can end up with nothing, right? Now, she does have Columbia in the mix, um, too, as you point out, and she seems open to the idea of considering a Sloan or even a Berkeley later on, but you're most competitive early in the cycle for many of these programs, especially if you're from a country that's overrepresented in the pool, and so I agree with you that MIT Sloan has that late uh, round one deadline compared to the other schools, so that might be worth looking at. And Berkeley's another one, although the thing I worry about with Berkeley is that their acceptance rate is really low, even lower than some of the other schools that traditionally might rank above them. Yeah, yeah, but I, I have, a, I have a, a thing about that. Everyone says, yeah, Berkeley's the most selective school on the planet, and their, their admit rate proves it. But the quality of the applicant pool at Berkeley is not going to be the same as at Stanford or Harvard or, or Wharton, in, on aggregate. I'm not saying they don't have top quality people in the pool, but... Yeah, don't be misled. Not that you'd be misled, Graham, by the admit rate. You understand all this stuff. But to the audience, don't be misled necessarily by that um, admit rate. The other thing about Sloan, Graham, and you've talked about this before on the podcast, I think, on Wiretaps, is they backload the admissions process. So actually getting an application in um, is less onerous um, on the outset for Sloan, right? They're only going to ask you to do a cover letter. They're, maybe it's just one recommendation. I forget, but but it's not as onerous as some of these other programs. So I really encourage this candidate to look into that. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I had that recent conversation with Donna Levinson, who's the assistant dean of admissions at MIT Sloan. And we talked about how if you get an interview, you have to write an essay, um, you have to pick out a data visualization that you like, et cetera. So there are all these things that happen later, uh, which makes the front end of their admissions process a little bit more light. So I would encourage her to get that one in. I'd feel better if she had that in the mix. And I don't know, she didn't specify whether she applied to Columbia early decision or not, but I agree with you. She could end up kind of in limbo where they hang on to her candidacy and then she's kind of still waiting on the other schools. So MIT seems smart. Again, I love this candidacy. She seems to have a really good head on her shoulders about like what she wants to do next. She even got really specific and talked about how she'd like to work with a Series A or B startup in a growth role in the short term and then go back to VC in the longer term. So maybe we're making much ado about nothing here, Alex, and she'll walk right on into some of these programs, but it can't hurt to be cautious and cast a wide net. 
She'll be a great classmate at a top program, I'm sure of it. Yeah, totally. Uh, So thanks to her for submitting that profile. Let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So this is a candidate who wants to start in the fall of 22 again, and we've got eight schools on the target list. They want to apply to Columbia, Harvard, LBS, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, Wharton, and Yale. They spent some time working for a large marketing company for about a year, and then they joined a family business, their family's business, um, first in marketing and now in more of a strategy role. And they've been doing that for about two and a half years um, post-MBA. I'm sorry, post-MBA, they basically want to return to the family business. Um, And it sounds like they they plan to acquire another firm. I guess they want to buy a firm um, to sort of put into the family business and just continue to grow. Um, It's a pretty large business. Uh, This candidate, I should mention, did their undergrad from a top university in London, and they gave us some hints. They said, think LSC, Imperial, or UCL. Um, And I guess they had a second class honors, which for Americans who are listening in, that's about a 3335, somewhere in there. Now, the main reason that we've included this entry, and Alex, I do appreciate you humoring me and working this one onto the show, is that they had some questions for us about the recommendation letters. They specifically added in their notes at the end, they said, quote, I have a few questions regarding references. One of my references is going to be a non-family board member because they work for their family business where they have a, um, I guess they have a, there's a member of the board who can write for them that's not a part of the family, so that's key. Um, And then the person says, as for the other reference, I will be using one of my uncles, is that okay? We have different last names as they are not, I guess they're my mother's brother, they say, or they say, I could get a reference from a famous Harvard Business School alum, but we have no direct professional involvement. Would this make a difference? So those are the questions there. And Alex, what I want you to do is first, just tell me what you think of this candidacy, and then we can get into these specific questions about the rec letters, which are really intriguing to me. I think... Again, this is probably a great candidate. They've had great opportunities. So, you know, it's, it's incumbent on them to have done well with those opportunities. And it does seem like they have done well with those opportunities. They're clearly a zero risk for a business school in terms of after business school, they go back into the family business, which is a huge business um, from, from what, what I think they've articulated. And um, and and so so and and beyond with it, they they've got even got a plan. They're going to buy a startup, bring it into the family business, and they're going to integrate. So so they've thought all this stuff through. So so all that is really good, and and they're super smart. They've got the right you know top GMAT score and 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 so on and so forth. So a very low risk candidate. But this this um this this recommendation question is is crazy, Graham. Absolutely no uncle. I don't care if they've got a different last name. You just don't do that stuff. And um, absolutely no famous alumni that doesn't really know you just because uh, maybe they could do you a favor because of the family, whatever the reason. I mean, it's going to be very evident in that recommendation that they don't know you. So they're at, they're not only adding no value, they're adding negative value. Um, in that case, because um, it really shows lack of judgment on the part of the candidate for the selection of the uh, both of these um, recommenders. Um, because at the end of the day, even if it's a different last name, you're trying to get away with something. If that if if that backfires, 
it's going to be a huge, a huge, huge problem. So, Graham, I'll let you talk about, you know, identifying um, potential recommenders. I do want to say, yeah, I think this is probably a great candidate. So I don't want this candidate to be whatever. Just make sure you get the choice of recommendation, recommenders um, to really sort of um, seal the deal. I mean, all, all was going well as I was reading the profile until I got to those questions about the references and I was like, oh, this is textbook. Uh, these are really good questions. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, we've got to talk about this on the show because I think it's really a good way to illustrate how to go about selecting recommenders. When you're in this kind of a situation where you work for a family business or your own venture, it can be kind of a nightmare to find someone to write a recommendation who's not a family member or who's like, you know, going to be above you in the hierarchy. Um, by the way, you mentioned that the family business is pretty big. So here's a little more background. This candidate here mentioned that it's in a developing Asian country. So remember, they went to school in the UK and London, but they live in Asia and that's where the company is. And this business is worth about $5 billion. Yes. So I guess that's like a little bit um, larger than Clear Admit if you're trying to put it into <laughs> scale. Um, so it's a big company, and it sounds like they have a lot of responsibility and would be a great classmate. And there are a lot of interesting things to say, you know, that they could say in the classroom, I'm sure. But I agree with you, you cannot use an uncle, even if they have a different last name, and you can't use the HBS alum who has no real connection to you. That's sort of a recipe for disaster, if you ask me. Um, but who can you use? So, I mean, to answer your question, I would say most businesses have customers, clients, or counsel that they can go to and ask. And I think she's made a great decision in getting a non-family board member to write one of the letters. I would wonder whether there's a client there that she's done business with or even some kind of joint venture partner or someone out there that she's you know, kind of led some strategic relationship with where they've been exposed to her uh, business acumen and, and could write about their experience working with her. The only other thing I could think of is that sometimes entrepreneurs will use a lawyer, an accountant, or, or someone that's kind of regularly working with the business and, again, has exposure to the candidate and can see them in action. But, yeah, this is, I mean, it's tricky. Um, I recognize that it's not an easy decision. I did actually wonder, though, remember, when they graduated, they initially went and worked with, um, I think they worked at like a marketing company. And so they had that first job. They worked for a, a large marketing company. So that could be an option too. As, yeah, especially if there's someone in that marketing company, not only did they work for, but if they've sort of kept in touch, maybe they've sort of helped mentor them a little bit. Um, on them as, as they transition to their own family business. So, so yeah, I mean, it's going to be two years ago, so there is that little bit of a disconnect. You don't want to dip too far, far back for a recommender. But if they have kept in touch with them, then that's, that, that would, would add a lot of value. Yeah, I agree. If this person, you know, a lot of times you have a job and then you move on, but you stay in touch and that person knows, like, what you're up to now and, you know, almost like a bit of a mentor, um, that, that could work really well. Yeah. I think the board member kind of covers the current work experience. But again, if there's a client, customer, or, you know, joint venture type person out there that they've worked with who, and I would also argue that this person, the, the candidate, she should pick a recommender who is, you know, ideally senior in terms of like the types of, you know, work they've done, but also older, um, just more, you know, has more experience because, that that'll help too. So you know the the I guess the assumption being that the older, more experienced person, you know, that the, the person is, um, just that their voice carries a little more weight, and I think that their ability to be objective may be um, seen as being a little bit better. So I, I just 
Yeah, I would just want to really strongly encourage this candidate to avoid going with the uncle or the random HBS alum mm. <laughs> that they don't really know, but maybe knows their family a bit, because that could really backfire. And Graham, they're also on the board of a large women's group in their home country. Yeah, what about that? There may be a source of a recommendation. Yeah. A recommender through that. Mm-hmm. And that could actually, I mean, if they're really doing interesting work with that women's group, that could not only solve the problem, i.e. how do I get this second recommendation, but they might actually shed a whole new sort of light on, on this candidacy that's that's completely objective yeah. and, complete, you know, just a really nice sort of other lens in, into who this person is. Yeah, agreed. I would encourage them to seek that avenue too. So I want to put you on the spot and ask you a question about this candidate, which is, you know, she indicates that basically she wants to go back mm. to the family business, right? So, um, so there's, you know, like you said, there's not a big risk in terms of a school accepting her because she's got a job waiting for her. Um, but then you look at the list of schools and she's got arguably, you know, many of the very best schools in America. Um, and then she also has London business school on the list, um, arguably best, you know, best business school in the UK or something. Right. So she has some really good schools on the list, but if you were like, how do, how should one go about picking a school when you have a job waiting and, you know, like, should she be looking at like, what are these networks like? For each program in her home market or maybe in the markets that she's hoping to expand her company into? Or like, how would you go about figuring this out? Like, what's the right place for her to land? Yeah, I mean, that, I was actually going to ask you a sort of similar follow-up question. I mean, that she, they, they, they've targeted eight schools, of which six are M7 schools. Yeah. Um, then there's Yale and there's there's London Business School. I'm not quite sure which school she's not targeting out of the M7. It looks like Chicago Booth. Booth. So, yeah. so Booth got, got thrown out of the ballpark already. Um, but, you know, is the spread good enough um, in terms of what she's targeting? Um, I would hope so. I mean, again, maybe they've got to get into the first round, um, certainly with some of these applications to maximise their opportunity. Um, but whether the, the, there's a case, they've, they've got Yale in here, whether they should be also thinking maybe um, may, may, maybe Tuck or something like that. Um, but yeah, so she's got the guaranteed job. So what, what does she need out of the MBA programme? She needs two things. One is she needs to learn some stuff. So go, you know, these are all very good, strong academic programmes. So she's going to learn a lot of stuff no matter where she goes. I do agree with you, Graham. It's the strength of network in the region in which this business is in. That, that's got to be a, a pretty determining factor to me. Why is INSEAD not on the list? Yeah, that, so that was the, <laughs> that's exactly where I was driving. I was like... You know, if this business, the $5 billion company in Asia, you know, maybe NCID's a, I mean, maybe NCID's not on the list because it's a one-year, you know, type format or short format, and, and maybe she really wants a kind of immersive two-year yeah, kind of thing maybe. or something. I don't know. But that did come to mind. I also was just wondering, like, is the business looking to expand into the U.S. or into Europe? And that might, you know, change the way I think of where she should be applying to. But, I, you know, I think she has some range, you know, if you look at, um, she has one non-M7 school in Yale, although Yale's not so easy to get into. Um, and then she has LBS, which, um, you know, higher acceptance rate than the M7, perhaps, although they probably get a lot of applications from candidates in Asia. So, you know, it, it's, 
it's tricky. I, I do wonder, I mean, my view is she can probably apply to a bunch of these in the first round and then see where the chips are falling and adjust accordingly if need be. But I like the candidacy. It's a very interesting one, and I think she'll have a lot to share. But she's just got to make sure she's strategic about explaining, you know, what she what her vision is for this business. She didn't get into any detail for us in terms of, like, what sector they operate in or anything. But ideally, she can tie some of that sector-specific stuff to club activities or, you know, elective coursework she might want to take or just really think this through. Um, but I see a compelling candidacy, and as long as she gets the recommendations piece right, she should have a good chance at a lot of these schools. Yeah, yeah. I'm speculating. I know exactly what she's doing with the business. You've got a $5 billion business that's probably a little bit old school, so they're going to buy a startup that's high-flying, that's got some piece of technology that's going to completely innovate their industry and she's going to use that to innovate their company within that industry. I've got it all sorted out, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe she'll hire you to help with this yes, whole transition. Yes. You know. <laughs> um, excellent. Well, that's a great place to stop. I really appreciate you humoring me this week and throwing that third one on that I had kind of flagged because of this recommendations issue. Um, but as always, all three candidates are really interesting to discuss. And yeah, we'll do it all in one week's time. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Very good, Graham. You're just bragging that you're reading a plywire over the weekend <laughs> and I wasn't on, on top of it. <laughs> but yeah, no, seriously, thanks for all your help. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week, I guess. Very good, everyone. Stay safe. Take care. 